Hello, everyone. Welcome to Green Knight Podcast Episode 6. Thank you to all of you that followed, and I encourage any and all listening now to also follow. Sister Snake, thank you for the like. It means a lot. It's official. You can search for me on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Green Knight Just type that in the search. I will also update my website with content and information from time to time, so go check it out and leave a comment. I am still in this, you guys, but as you may have gleaned from the previous episodes, I was struggling before this all went down, I decided to put this out. So get ready. I might break it into two parts, but at this moment, I'm planning on a kind of a long episode. And uh, you may want to go back and listen to four and five to get it all gelling again, because it all kind of you know stems from there and put your thought experiment hat on. Um, I want you to keep in mind that a lot of the second half of this is to think about things um, in in an experimental way. Thought experiment. Okay. We have reached a certain point in this whole social restructuring that's happening. But we have to remember that we can write our own story from here on out. There is a flux state, a superposition, if you will, of potential outcomes. We can tilt this towards a positive outcome. I know it seems unlikely, but the underdog has the advantage of being underestimated. It actually makes the purpose of this podcast more relevant. I know. How is that even possible? Sincerely, though, it's what I've been getting at. It is what I, it's what I've been talking about, except multiplied times a thousand. We have to begin with the end in mind so to speak. I mean, start with the best outcome in mind. What does that look like, everyone? Um, What I'm offering here is, I guess, a deeper way of looking at things. Maybe you're already there with me, you know? We only have so many words, so I imagine some of the words uh, that I use um, are either gelling with you or not. But what does it look like, the best outcome? There is an opportunity to build and evolve society in all of this, but we have to choose it. We have to tear our attention away from the mirror. We have to look into the eyes of Echo and see what cannot be formulated. 
what is it? The story can get a last minute rewrite if we want. How do we ensure freedom for us and for those to come? If we have to fight in the streets, it's probably too late. There are certain actions, actions that will have a global impact and could finally realize a free society. But they are not controversial. They are not sensational. Much like having a healthy body means being in balance, the choices that lead to health are not radical, not resembling a magic pill in any respect, but they must continue in order for balanced health to be maintained. Society perhaps does not need solutions to symptoms when the prevention of imbalance removes the occurrence of them. Our individual health is imperative, imperative. Our individual health is imperative because we are the cells in this body of society. The two things are not mutually exclusive, our health and the health of society. It seems obvious, right? And yet we have separated the two. How can we be healthy as individuals when the body of society is ill? And which is it? It's both things at once. It is a kind of, uh, what we need is a kind of neuroplasticity of social connections, of the network, of the social structure, a rewiring rewiring as it were where one pathway is closed others can spring up we can consciously choose to form a new network network that will preserve the exchange of energy and information and move towards a restoration of balance this is beginning with the end in mind what I was talking about in the previous episodes of Green Knight was to arrive at this point. I have said that this podcast is about a solution, not solutions. A root-level dysfunction leads to the seemingly complex conundrum we find ourselves in at the moment. Understanding the effect. You know, I want to clarify, right? So, yeah, what's happening is pretty crazy. But what I'm doing is going back, right? You have to realize that um, the relevancy is our own, you know, who we are as human beings. So we have to look back. And uh, that's basically what I've been doing. And that looking back is how you get to the root. So we find ourselves in a complex conundrum. And uh, perhaps we can solve it by getting to the root of the problem. And so keep your mind open to this again, right? And it's been all been leading up to this, so it shouldn't be a surprise anyway. But what we're talking about here is understanding the effect of the introduction of technology and specifically the effect of the phonetic alphabet 
understanding this effect is the second to last step of the prerequisites for revealing the root of the dysfunction that has led us to this juncture. The last step in recognizing is that there, the last step after this, the next step I guess, is recognizing that there is an adjustment that we can make and it will start us on a different path. The time is short. I said that some crazy shit was going to go down in 2020. <laughs> I could not have predicted this long emergency though, even though it all makes sense really at this point. Last time I was talking about McLuhan's analysis of the introduction of the phonetic alphabet and its effects on the human psyche and the development that occurs thereafter. The nature of the phonetic alphabet and the way in which it is used and the material required to preserve it, you know, writing stuff down, it had a cascading effect on human society in which the linear sequential assembly of letters inside the mind, which is reading, adjusted the human worldview. So what it really did was was this, but we'll get into a little bit more. It had the effect of atomizing the group into individuals. The portion of the human mind that is self-cognitive is reinforced under these new conditions. Self-identification takes place in the left brain. The left hemisphere of the brain is the masculine. Causal linearity, logical and literate portion of the human perception apparatus. It serves the function of processing incoming stimuli, identifying, categorizing, and assigning meaning. The right side of the brain functions as the nonverbal, non-critical pattern recognition component. Our bodies are cross-wired to our nervous system so that the left side is controlled by the right brain and the right side of the body is controlled by the left brain. Like, we all know this, right? But I'm getting to something. A lot of left-handed people are creative, are intuitive thinkers and gifted athletes. By using their left side of their body as primary, left-handed people are using their right brain more. A lot of left-handed people are goofy-footed on a surfboard or a skateboard. And as you may or may not know, being goofy-footed just means that you have the opposite foot forward than relative to most other people. Some people are left-eye dominant, similar to left-handedness. If you open both eyes and frame an object with the circle your forefinger and your thumb make, you can determine which of your eyes is the dominant eye. The dominant eye will frame the object you choose in the circle you created with your hand, and the secondary's eye view will use its view will be um, obscured by your hand. Some people are right-handed, but with a dominant left eye. 
Balanced use of both hemispheres obviously increases the volume of the gray matter that is used. There is a bridge between the two sides of the brain. It's called the corpus callosum. It's there to ensure balanced communication between the hemispheres. When the phonetic alphabet was introduced, it transformed society into a right-handed organization. Right? A left-brain dominant organization. The written word set the precedent for a way to interact with the natural world that is ordered, sequential, segmented, and materially oriented. This is a left-brain masculine type approach and it tends to offer a clipped or truncated perception of the world, a macular or hyper-focused field of view as opposed to the left side of the brain. The right side holds our, imagina our imaginative, emotional, and intuitive sense potential, adding the peripheral to our field of view. If you ask a theoretical physicist what the underlying order of the universe is, they will say that there is a combination of unseen forces operating in a field that connects all things. It's an uncomfortable subject for them. It's an uncomfortable subject because empiricism is wholly a left brain process. And the unified field interpretation crosses over into a holistic, integrated idea of reality, which is at odds with the tenets of material science, which is, you know, current mainstream science. There's a lot of new science being done that is uh, bridging the gap, so to speak. And um, well, a lot of what I refer to is referencing that. The ether was, in the 19th century, considered to be a medium. You know, it was a, a widely held view that um, the ether was the medium in which the physical uh, resides in the the objects in the universe. The it's what everything kind of rests in, I guess. Is a way to put it, right? It's hard to talk about. Um, but uh, it got put to rest uh, for one reason or another. Um, despite some evidence that it did exist. But um, it's an important conversation that I won't really get into, except in this um, capacity that I'm referring to now. So let me just move on. It was a uh, special rel relativity that really killed the concept of the ether by replacing the ether with space-time. But as time goes by, we know that some science gets overturned, um, which is, you know, it's difficult, <laughs> especially with this space-time thing, because of what it represents. Um, um, but we know now, right, that there is a quantum field. 
that permeates all of space and entangles all things. This knowledge is the result of the detection of the subatomic Higgs boson particle, the properties of which require the presence of such a field. It's called the Higgs field. The Higgs field, for all intents and purposes, can be considered as what used to be referred to as the ether. The ether, or the unified field, represents the right brain of reality, the silent partner in creation, the unfathomable underpinnings of the observable physical universe. This is the first half of reality. This is... <laughs> I actually said that by accident, but it makes sense. It is the first half but because it, it uh, underlies everything. This is the half of reality, though, that is unseen. It is unseen, yet it is the framework that all of the visible world rests on. It is the invisible collection of forces driving the continuing unfolding of physical reality. Congruently, the right hemisphere of the brain is also foundational and is informed by the subconscious. The subconscious holds the unseen field from which grows the conscious personality of a human. The subconscious contains the set of rules and relationships that precedes the growth of one's personality. These rules can be thought of as the laws of creation of the personality, but the subconscious also acts as a conduit or a connection to the larger source field, to the underlying nature of the cosmos. When open to that connection, the subconscious can become the superconscious. The conscious mind, or the left brain, the home of the perception of separateness, can learn to be deaf to the input from the peripherally aware mind, the peripherally aware portion of the mind. This is the... This is the effect of operating in a state of imbalance. With a hyperfocus on the separateness of things, the pervasive yet subtle presence of the unified field can go unnoticed. We have a bridge between the two sides of our brain. It is there to unify them. The invention of the phonetic alphabet, alphabet promoted and encouraged a left brain imbalance in people and thus was manifested in society. In the last episode, the question of measurement of intelligence, there was the question of measurement intelligence, and it is highlighted by the effect of the phonetic alphabet and how that really placed a higher importance on left brain activities for individuals. The, com the compartmentalization of society is one of the effects of the invention of the written word. These conditions promote the proliferation of complex interactions. Intellect can be effective in the study and management of complex systems, but intelligence can expose the simplicity behind the seemingly complex. Intellect is left-brain sequential causal chain analysis. Intelligence is whole-body-centered perception. IQ is a measurement of intellect not intelligence. The ultimate intelligence, true intelligence, is available 
to us through our biological connection to all of creation. We all have this connection. To perceive with one's entire perception apparatus requires a balance in left brain intellect and right brain intuition. This provides a larger macroscopic holistic view as opposed to an assembly of parts. Society being made up of humans will similarly display left and right brain characteristics. The invention of the alphabet firmly placed society in a left brain dominant mode, inflicting a kind of mental illness on the mind of society, on the collective consciousness. The masculine left brain houses the ego. The ego is not bad unless it is operating without the influence of the right brain. It is not bad, bad unless operating in isolation untempered by the unseen unified field of the subconscious. We can see right that's what they say. They say don't let the ego drive the bus. The ego really is there uh, as so we can navigate the world. It's our go it's our fall to when we're in fucking the shit when we're in danger. That's what the ego is for. If it's always fucking driving, then what the fuck are we all afraid of all the time? You know, and here it is. Just keep us in a state of fear, in this left brain imbalance. Are you following me? The ego is not bad unless it is operating without the influence of the right brain. We can see that with individuals, an imbalance of this sort on one side or the other leads to a topsy-turvy life expression. This is also observable in the way our society manifests. And, right, so this is the arcane, it's related to the arcane knowledge, right? This balance of the left and right, right? Uh, the universe is a hollow fractal, a self-repeating pattern in which one part of it contains all of it. Right? This is what I'm talking about. So we are, as people, we contain everything that the universe is. And there's a way, you know, being separate from it is uh, a mistake. Right? We're not separate from it. To see us as separate from it is a mistake. So society manifests a topsy-turvy kind of um, timeline. The most influential law of nature is balance. This is not disputable. It's the whole reason all of our science works. Um, our energy, the way we create our energy is just creating potential difference of pressure, <laughs> right? Because it wants to equalize, right? Human society is an organization that manifests in nature and so is subject to the natural equalization by default. 
living systems must maintain balance in order to thrive. For a living organization, right, an organism is an organization, to persist in nature it must operate in balance, internal balance and in balance with the surroundings. The right brain, I mean the left brain, the analytical side, is concerned with the outside world. The right brain is concerned with inner life, the connection, right? If you go inward, you can go forever. Neglect of the inner work has an oscillatory effect, a flipping from good to bad, from bad to good, a spotty manifestation. The introduction of the alphabet You know, it was a time of empire building. It was a time of, uh, right? And to go on campaign, um, a lot of things had to be in place, you know? Um, so just thinking about that as a puzzle that you have to put together. And so the introduction of the alphabet accelerated the fracturing and the mechanization of the elements of society in a kind of militaristic kind of way. And but empires fall, you know, it leads to instability. And we can see this. Society, having been pushed all the way into an unbalanced left brain mode, placed more importance on the outer world and converting it to value in some way. And this manifests in products, in technology. People being the engine behind that production also become the focus of this right brain view, right? This needs to be ordered too. This needs to be all categorized, right? This leads to the stratification and hierarchy of society. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Right, so it's this whole um, hyper-focus on and it's a kind of hubris in a way. It's like, if we can get it all in position, because there's a lot of success, right? Success breeds a kind of repetition of process. And this technology is the success. But um, this left brain uh, dominance turns its attention on the people that make the things. So that's a stratification and hierarchy. And it would not be bad in theory because it's an artifact of cooperation. Cooperation inevitably leads to the division of labor, defined roles and leadership. Divided into its component parts, the world and society was made adjustable. Control of nature coincides with the control of the group because the group provides the production. 
production, the making of things in all aspects and subcategories, services included, the making of stuff is how we live as modern humans. The stratification of society tends towards imbalance because we were disconnected from this full perception. Our minds on aggregate are divided instead of in balanced unification. Collectively, we are divided from our nature and thereby divided from nature. Last time I read this quote from the book, uh, Understanding Media, quote, Today, the mere mention of D.H. Lawrence will serve to recall the 20th century efforts made to bypass literate man. This, uh, I'm breaking in here, this uh, um, left brain man in order to recover human wholeness. Unquote. The myth of Narcissus is an allegorical warning of the effects of left brain imbalance a fixation on the extensions of the self. Echo, the wood nymph who fell in love with Narcissus, more than representing the forest or nature, which is accurate. She is the representation of the unseen aspect of creation and the connection of all things. The shock-induced trance created, right? And as a metaphor in the mirror for Narcissus, but for us, by our technological extensions, makes awareness of the peripheral, one's peripheral self, more difficult. He could not turn away. He could not turn away. Echo, the wood nymph, could only reflect back words that she had heard Narcissus speak. The subconscious can only give back that which it is given, right? You get programmed as a young person, and that's how you operate, right? But if you give it um, the information that it is ready to receive, if you allow it to. Anyway, the subconscious can only give back that which it is given. Nature echoes our words back to us, but would return our embrace if we gave it. This transaction is curtailed while we remain in this trance, this narcissistic fixation. Understanding the effect of technology, specifically the alphabet, on our collective perception is key to recognizing how it manifests in an unbalanced societal structure. The right brain houses the ego, the separate self. I mean, the left brain. The left brain houses the ego, the separate self. Left brain imbalance imposes an emphasis on a comparison to others and a competition mindset. The stratification of society is a result of an out-of-balance left-brain influence on the organization of society. The history of Western civilization is characterized by a top-down central control of human interaction. 
the central control structure creates unbalanced internal exchange of resources that is compounded over time. The boom and bust, war and prosperity, growth and collapse quality of our history demonstrates the instability of such a structure, the spottiness of it. Nature will equalize an unstable structure. The echo we receive from nature is as loud as, as our deafness to her warrants. The echo we receive from nature is as loud as our deafness to her warrants. And that echo can be a shockwave. The lesson is perhaps that we must choose balance and so avoid the default outcome. If an overbalanced centralized structure is the result of our dis disconnection from our source, right? This is what we've seen in history. Then it seems clear that a balanced societal foundation would have decentralized exchange and distributed sources of value. Taking action towards this vision would require a more expansive viewpoint an opening of the peripheral vision, so to speak. So perhaps fixing society and ourselves go hand in hand at the same time. It's not as Peterson says, make your own bed first. When you go back outside, it'll be a better world. Just let the experts design the world for you. You know, I, I don't trust him. I don't trust him. Anyway, the fixing of our society and the fixing of ourselves are one and the same. They aren't separate. The phonetic alphabet put us out of balance. but perhaps it was necessary so that we may have arrived at this moment. It's as if uh, our technology said to us, I know this is going to throw you off, man. But once the process is started, it just runs until you reach a limit or you pass through. As a collective, we have been out of balance, but also we have given ourselves everything we require to make the transition. As we advance to this point, we have taken every step with our technology, our media, as McLuhan would name it, because technology provides the means of exchange by which each of us survives. It is the seed from which human civilization grew, effectively creating an organic entity made up of humans. Every radical advancement of technology has been a step towards a return to wholeness. And guess what? We don't all have to fucking die to return to the source. The alternative is the failure of the human experiment.
right? Um, people are afraid of extinction, right? That's a failure for sure. But living in slavery also, also a failure. Because, you know, our technology is our solution, right? But if we merge with it, um, then we will no longer continue to evolve as humans. Suddenly it will be something else making the decisions. Right? We have to choose, but we can't choose to fucking do the neural link. <laughs> right? Technology is the answer. It's also the fucking dead end if we take the wrong step. And uh, I used to read those Choose Your Own uh, Adventure books with 33 different endings that you could choose. And fucking sometimes your guy died. <laughs> you know? Choose the wrong thing. Um, we have to choose correctly here. And uh, the next chapter choice, the title of it, you know, Neuralink. Fuck no. Right? So I don't know if you see really how that would stop us, right? That would stop humanity. That's like transhumanism. I mean, they even call it that, beyond human. And we can't do that. But we can use the technology um, for the benefit of everyone instead of just uh, the benefit of the few. And I know that sounds, it's a tired thing to hear, you know. But that's what's happening. And we can prevent it, but it's not a fight. All we have to do is make something that makes their system look stupid. So this is the final step to the transition to the next phase, right? Either we are shut down, we perish, or we make it through. In order to proceed with a discussion about what can be done to ensure a positive outcome for humanity, um, it was necessary to do the previous stuff in the previous episodes to understand how technology changes our perception. This effect is easily visible with the technology of the phonetic alphabet. I mean, I think it should be pretty clear, right? What a radical change that had in effect. And it immediately um, well, anyway, I'm just going to move on. It should be clear. We have recognized the effects of technology, specifically how it has caused a trance-like obsession with the unfolding of the story of us in our media our technology, causing us to be unaware of one half of creation. The second thing we should understand is because all technology has its roots in production. The products of human activity, it is our approach to production that offers the method by which we create a balanced society. Our ability to produce new objects to create new value sources. It is what has driven change in society since day one of flaking stone tools.
our production ability is the driving factor in the evolution of society because it enables the exchange of value that we all operate on. Therefore, how we manage our production is elemental in choosing a more balanced approach to the human endeavor. It is in this spirit that I would propose, um, I guess, a seed that could be duplicated worldwide and grow into the new economy. I mean, why the fuck not? And I'm just going to generally share it at this point. I'm going to go into more details later. Um, so, a simple solution, right, that facilitates the distributed circulation of value. Over the multiple millennia that human beings have been rolling together, which is for all fucking time, the ways in which a person can be of value to others has grown exponentially. This is demonstrated in the differences that we all share. We are each unique and yet offer the same value potential to be of value to others. There are many ways to be of value. There, there are differences between people, but no difference in their value. We all have something to exchange. All of our faculties are optimized for interaction with each other. First, so this is the first thing we got to do. And right, just here, just try to open up to this. Don't let it, your mind go anywhere except for to what it means. All right, first thing. The first thing that we have to do is make sure that that conduit for human exchange, the thing that keeps us all alive, is open and accessible without any obstructions or diversions. A community-based independent network for transactions would serve to prioritize local exchange. To do this, each community should, could, establish a local currency using the blockchain. Stay with me. There are a lot of variables, well, a few, right? Not that many, really. But the core idea is that the members of a community would agree to buy into a cryptocurrency-based token that would be used in local transactions. This would distribute the value created in the community throughout. It may seem simplistic, but I did not say I mean, I did say it wasn't going to be sensational. But it can be when you consider that our the exchange that we have between us is our life. Outside of this exchange, there are few options. Establish local currency using blockchain to maintain exchange. We have to maintain it. 
We can't downplay it. It's us. A lot of others have been talking about, um, you know, creating local currencies and things similar. However, this alone adopted on a large scale would be a radical initiative toward a distributed exchange. Distributed, right? No one's holding the purse strings. We all are open. And to, to uh, operate freely and with free association. Right? But we require the exchange. We can't do it without it. And we need an exchange that is efficient. So some of these people argue to go back to the barter system, that's fine, um, but we will still need a unit to trade with. And that's really all that it takes to have belief in a fiat currency, <laughs> you know? Um, that um, that there is an exchange and that we require it to survive and that we're going to use tools in order to make it happen. If every community suddenly created their own currency based on the blockchain, that would strengthen community independence. It would... Uh, you know, lessen our dependency on long-distance shipping, for example. Each community becomes a node for exchange, distributed throughout the total network. So it's not cut off, right? And because it's on the blockchain, right, all of these tokens, perhaps other communities will do the same thing, which they fucking should. Like, this should go worldwide. This is what I'm talking about. It kind of has to. Right? But it's all based on crypto, so it's all exchangeable. And so you can trade with other communities. So I'm going to get to that in a minute. Um, strong communities trading within and with other community exchanges using the blockchain platform would actually drive crypto investments. And uh, value would just go up all around not just in the currency. It's not just about a money game, you know. Actually, the solution that I proposed would actually lead to um, a managed barter system, basically, where it's basically, it's, uh, you don't really, you won't end up needing the money. But there still has to be a pool, and that's what money offers. Um, you have to be able to pull the resources together. It's also the, what makes money uh, manipulatable. And why we have arrived at this, you know, the fractional reserve system. But I'm not going to get at that. Right? I'm saying where we should go. We already know that the system that we have doesn't work. 
um, this new nodal distribution of exchange, um, so new nodes in the network, right, would evolve organically and people would begin to coalesce around these new value exchange centers, right? So the community that they're created in would eventually, um, the whole community would be a part of it. And then these communities would start interacting with each other. Um, it is clear that uh, top-down central control has not been successful. An apophatic analysis of our history will reject this structure because basically that just means what not to do. A balanced approach would distribute control throughout the network. Second, the introduction of technology began a process in which our participation is compulsory. We, on aggregate, have no choice but to participate. Right? What a, we're made to do this thing that is like this social human thing. <laughs> what else are we gonna do? I can't, you know. This whole thing that's happening is fucking unbelievable. But I digress. I'm trying to make a point about what we need to do second after we create these local exchanges. We have no choice but to participate, right, in this exchange. This is what we do. This is what makes us human. But human organization was founded upon products, the things that we make. Let that fucking sink in for a second, okay? Don't poo-poo or scoff or make noises and fucking shit. <laughs> Just think about it, right? know, uh, safety in numbers, right? That doesn't build a fucking civilization, right? There are some other fucking variables, and it was technology. There are myriad ways to live in modern society, but every single one of them stems from industry, making things of value, right? That others value, that's key precedes all other inter-societal endeavors, right? So anything before that really wasn't society because it was just safety in numbers. The proliferation of technology has coincided with the number of jobs available to fill in society. The products we make, their production, we depend on for our livelihoods. We are all tethered at birth because society as we know it owes its existence to the products of industry. So I'm getting at what we need to do second. And I think some of you can see what's coming. And it's an argument that's been used before in different ways. And it's always been corrupted and retold but based on what I just said, you can understand, right? We are social. We are. We gotta do this together. 
We're not a bunch of individuals bumping into each other in some kind of uh, scientist's computer model, some fucking game theory. That's some cold ass shit, you know. They run game theory all the time, trying to figure out what to do with us. We're not little NPCs, although a lot of us act like it. Making things of value precedes all other societal endeavors. Society owes it can, its uh, existence to the products of industry, right? I'm going to get into it. I may not do it in this one because this is turning into a long one already. Because I have um, a lot of ways to get at this idea. Though sometimes you could say it was obvious and inconsequential. And that would be a mistake, right? And understanding how... Um, fuck, I hate saying important. I need a better word than that. But understanding how important it is um, kind of takes some good looking at because we've been conditioned away from thinking of how important um, the stuff that we make is despite knowing despite it keeping us in a trance, you know. It's this weird combination, which just makes it um, hard to come at with words, but I'm, you know, making a go of it. So central control of industry and indeed the ownership of industry curtails participation, right? It's a participation limiter. <laughs> And I just got finished saying that we are all built to participate. Right? They want to limit what we're built for. That doesn't seem right. If it isn't apparent by looking at the past, we need only to look at the automation of industry that has been occurring, you know, recently in the last, you know, since the Industrial Revolution. But even more so now, you know. <laughs> if you go to my website and you read the manifesto, you see that the workers thought that the factories were their salvation back then, right? They thought they were going to be free <laughs> because of mechanization, right? Now we all think we're going to be free for because of the internet. Hmm. Yeah, we're supposed to be. So automation, right? Um, this is the removal, the utter removal of participation in production. And production is the activity that society was organized around originally. It disconnects people from the exchange Right, that we were designed to operate um, interacting with, we were designed to interact with. It disconnects us from the exchange. It severs our connection to the body of society. Ownership of the means of production is what causes this disconnection and is what leads to our waste-based economy.
right? So when they own all the robots, and they're the only ones who get the benefit of the efficiency, right? Those aren't their robots. <laughs> they're ours. Those are our robots. <laughs> um, so, right, the insistent and pervasive narrative that has been set up over many, many, many years, right, decades, is that production isn't an issue, y'all. Don't look at production. It's people that are the issue. People are the problem. In reality, if manufacturing was managed properly, the waste would largely disappear, right? Um, they're selling us that shit. We need not succumb to overarching control in order to save ourselves. We need only to return control of the means of production to the people. Right, and I was just hinting at this. Right, don't get your panties all in a fucking bunch. <laughs> Right? People are social creatures, right? We do this together, and our ability to make things is ours, right? This is what created the exchange that we all operate by. Technology, right? The means of production is ours, or um, then we all go on UBI, right? That's the purpose of UBI, everyone. Right, to perpetuate the ownership of the means of production. <laughs> Does that make sense now? All right, so I was kind of not going to talk about, I was only going to talk about what we should do, but you got to talk about um, some things, right? Which is why sometimes I go on those little side things. But, uh, so step zero was seeing that we are operating in a trance due to the effects of our technology. This was the amputation and extension of our biologi biological faculties, right? So this is what put us in a trance. Um, it shocked us into a trance, and we can't stop looking at the mirror of our stuff, right? The narcissus myth, that's what it was saying, right? Step zero. 0.1, recognize that this is an imbalance in perception that manifests in a society that is unsustainable. So the answer is to pull away from the mirror and the story that is being written there. We can write our own story. We become what we behold. So the first thing in the writing of a new story is the deployment of the network of local currency nodes based on the blockchain. The deployment of a network of local currency nodes based on the blockchain. That's step one. The opportunity here, right, next is <sighs> we have to distribute the sources of value, which is the stuff we make, right, throughout the human network by returning the means of production to each community. 
So what I propose would create something that would end up growing, right? And end up putting these, um, the high technology, the high manufacturing technology into each community that they would operate. The details of that, I can't, I can't say, but I can say that you can set up the basic structure and it could grow organically. All right, getting to it. So the way this would take shape um, is people in each, in each community would band together in a type of a buyer's club. They would subscribe to the output of the community by buying into the network. The benefits of subscription would be cost plus purchasing of the products and services that other members have to offer. If you're selling something, the margin that a member or a business would se secure, right? So did you get that cost plus, right? So this is basically wholesale pricing on the purchasing of products in your community. But the margin that a seller would get would be from the membership fees. So membership fees would be all in a pool, right? Based on your number of sales and based on the scale that you set for your margin that you need for each product or service that you sell, then you get paid back, right? Based on a time frame. So this increases the buying power of every member in multiple ways. First, it spreads the burden of retail over the whole community. So everyone has a better ability to buy because things are cheaper based on this monthly that you pay. So you get cheaper based on monthly, right? So you're, you're able to um, actually buy locally grown um, food, right, which is normally really expensive, retail. Second, right, so I'm going to get to what products would be available, but again, this is community. It's everything in the community up front at first, but there's a foundation to this. I may not get to it today, but you're getting the idea. I'm going to have to get deeper into this. Second, all right, so first, right, buying power first spreads the burden, right? So people are able to buy because everything perceptively is much cheaper and it's offset. That cheapness is offset um, by the subscription fees. Second, the pooling of resources, right? So you pay to get in and you pay a monthly. So that allows there to be a pool to improve the facilities, right? It allows the cooperative to buy, you know, automated manufacturing equipment, right? Like uh, laser cutters and large-scale 3D printers and, you know, textile machines, um, CNC sewing machines, you know, the gamut. 
all of this robotically controlled shit, right? This would be the idea. This is how you bring manufacturing back to the community, right? So it creates pooling of resources, right? The buying power of the whole community to bring manufacturing to them. And obviously there would be a threshold, a minimum number of members um, before you can reduce your prices, right? So the more people that join up, the um, lower the margin has to be on the price, right? And then those margins are paid out through subscription fees. Are you following me? <laughs> there has to be a collective effort in launching anything like this, right? There's not, and it's not going to be about a charismatic leader. I mean, Jesus Christ. We all have to spontaneously start doing this together. The, co the catalyst for this effort will come from each individual understanding. Right? They are elemental to making it happen, but not by themselves. Right? We all have to do that together. So we have to create teams. We have to figure this out. We have to talk. We have to talk to more people and more and more. Um, but first we have to create the example, right? And I know there's some communities already being built out there and they're working, functioning. Um, but we need this to go worldwide. Okay, so first the ideas must be shared. That's what I'm doing and others are doing it too, right? I'm not saying I have a unique fucking thing here. Because to me, it kind of just makes sense. It's like if you think about something, it's the way I approach learning, right? I always thought that everything was, you know, approachable. You just have to, like, um, put in the effort. That's, that's what it comes down to. But um, your state of mind allows you to take in um, and process shit more easily. Um, if it's your operating optimum. So, the ideas must be shared. That's what I'm doing. A lot of people are doing it. But we have to come together. It requires a collective groundswell in each community. And uh, our training, right? So, mechanization, um, you know, uh, the Industrial Revolution really... Uh, divided us all into specialists, you know, all of our trainings, right? But now, um, we can use robots to be the specialists, and all of our training can be used together um, to put the robots to work for us, right? So our training, each of our knowledge, must be pulled to create, right? Um, that's the idea of the thing. But first we got to create the um, nodes, right? These manufacturing nodes, these exchange nodes. And for everyone to interface with those, uh, we require software, right? We require the interface. And eventually, you know, since I'm talking about bringing manufacturing back, there needs to be an actual physical location, right? And so when the network begins in each community, it grows slowly um, based on 
keeping the exchange open, right? And then it's democratic, but it has to be unanimous, <laughs> right? Unanimous voting on what stuff to do, what to spend the pooled money on, right? That's just a little bit of it. But once the nodes are set up, um, the way that people would interact with them would be, like I said, the specialists. We have we can we have all the information, we, and we have the AI. And when I say AI, I don't mean like the shit they have deployed right now, right? That's like a giant fucking octopus all over the internet, one big creature. I'm saying that each community could have their own AI, right? Um, to manage all of the information, the interactions, the transactions, you know, all that stuff. But the specialists, right, we can all become generalists now. And we can all become creators. And um, the network would grow organically based on everyone's interests and desire to create something, right? And you'd all pull together. And if you didn't want to do it creatively, you could just throw uh, coins at it. You know, and then you could be a part of it that way. And so we all become part of the creation of our own culture, right? Instead of these valuable things that we all make, instead of it, you know, um, us being some kind of cog in an, someone else's, um, I don't know, I, I didn't mean to say it that way. Um, because we all will be part of someone else's dream, except that we can make it together, you know. Anyway, um, products could get made. So, it begins with keeping the exchange open. Second, right, is like what products, right, do we start making right away? So, it's what people need to survive, right? The eight categories of products that people need in order to stay alive, right? And those are all providable um, in a local context. So all of that exchange can stay in the community, right? So you begin with what people, right? Um, all of the products that people need to survive, right? And just as an example, because I'm going to get into this more later, is, you know, hydration. So there's a lot of things connected to water, a lot of products that can allow water to be better or where you can harvest it from, how you can get it. There's all kinds of stuff related to that, right? So, and then nutrition, right? Local farming. So that's part of it. Um, shelter, right? Building, local building, right? And then innovative ideas, right? For housing. Everyone can come together. There can be factions on ideas, right? I say healthy competition is a competition of ideas. So, there it is, right? The first three. Hydration, nutrition, shelter. The next one, right? Clothing, um, right? So, the manufacturing of clothing can be set up pretty quick in any community. 
So that's just an example, right, of what I'm talking about. And I hope it starts to come together and I'm going to get into it more. Um, I'm sorry for the delay, you guys. I'm sorry for the delay. And so stay tuned. Um, next time I'm going to talk about how technology is a value well, like a gravitational well, that attracts people. So our relationship with technology and from the viewpoint of, you know, and I've already been mentioning it, but to get into it deeper, you know, uh, technology is value, value well. So uh, until next time, um, stay tuned, stay safe, um, and stay informed. <laughs> All right.